Welcome back to Everything All at Once, the podcast about life in our 20s and the psychology behind it. Welcome back. I planned this episode before I left for school and I never recorded it because life just got in the way, but I thought I'd give you guys a good episode to get us back in the groove of everything about school, leaving hustle culture behind, and how to balance holding yourself accountable and prioritizing self-care. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So some life updates. These are again, they're they're weak old life updates, but I still think they're worth they're worth contributing to the content. So going to IKEA, man, that is if you didn't go to IKEA as a kid as some sort of field trip with your parents or some sort of spring break house getaway, I don't think you had a childhood. It's somehow both an amusement park and a war zone at the same time with a generous side of Swedish meatballs. I mean, I used to, I think one spring break, because on spring breaks, my dad normally works. So obviously we're not going on vacation. It was me and my two friends. And my mom was like, pick two friends we're going to ikea so we got in the car and we just traveled through all of the aisles the bedding the bedrooms the kitchen you named it i touched it and i played with it i think this was a middle school but now as i'm entering my 20s and going to ikea it is it is hell it is not a playground anymore it is overwhelming it is stressful and i got furniture yet who knows who's going to put it together because it sure as hell is not me. Another fun update while going, you know, as much college dorm shopping as I could before I got to Boston, I was in Target and my mom was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep looking for, I don't even remember what I was looking for. But anyways, she comes back. She was never guess what happened. And I'm looking at the floor and I noticed tracks of something and I don't know where it's coming from. And I asked, what happened? She goes, somebody shit on the bathroom floor, stepped in it, and proceeded to drag the shit all across Target. Now, I was wondering why it smelled like someone's literal ass crack whilst I was in Target. But regardless, that was just disgusting. After we got out of Target... My mom was mentioning a good friend of hers who unfortunately passed away, and I sympathize, you know, funerals, they're very sad. However, if you're from South Philly, you know a funeral isn't just a funeral. Let me give you, let me give you some perspective on this. When my grandma was notified that somebody had passed, and my mom attended the funeral, when my grandma called my mom right after the funeral, these are the first three questions she asked. What were people wearing? Like, did X person look good? What food was being served? Then proceeded to judge the food that was being served. And then was somebody's uncle's brother there who she has a problem with? If that's not a South Philly funeral question, I I don't know what is. I don't. It's just such an accurate. I mean, my mom literally will go anywhere. My grandma will be like, what's she wearing? What are they serving? 
I don't I don't know how to do the accent very well, but you get the gist. Quite interesting scene over there. Everyone's got their hair done, their nails did, all to give some amazing condolences. I mean, from an outsider, it's pretty it's a pretty interesting spectacle to oversee. I wrote on my notes, if we survive packing, it will be a miracle. Um, I had yet to move in. And that'll be on next week's episode, so stay tuned for all of those updates. But packing was terrible. And I was helping my friend pack, and she pulled out a skirt, and my first thought was sweat. Because she asked me, she was like, oh, what do I think about the skirt I'm going to wear to class? And it was kind of a shorter skirt. And it just made me realize I plan my day around two things, shitting and sweating. Like, when am I going to shit? And then also, am I going to sweat in route to somewhere? Am I going to sweat in somewhere? You never know when you're going to sweat. You need to prepare. I looked at that skirt and I said, oh, but the inner thigh sweat. Like, where are we going with that? And she goes, you're right. Puts the skirt back. Because I know best. Because it doesn't matter if it's 50, 40, 20 degrees. I will sweat. I will sweat through anything, anywhere, anytime. And it's helped me take the necessary precautions to pack the appropriate attire, even though I still overpacked, which is very annoying. And yeah, that's one of the reasons why I don't really dress cute most times, because I'm running around, I'm sweating. Whatever nice outfit I wear, don't hug me. But actually, it's been getting better. I've been better at managing whatever's going on with me. I've also been better at dressing cuter, which has been nice, I think the phenomenon where if you dress cute, feel good on the outside, feel good on the inside. I think there's some truth to that. And yeah, I planned this before I left. So the hot minute segment is a little, it's a little dated, but I think it's still worth talking about. So without further ado, let's get into it. Now, it would not be a hot minute without my girl, Taylor Swift, stirring a buzz. Taylor was spotted in Beach Haven along with Channing Tatum and Zoe Kravitz for the wedding of music producer Jack Antonoff and actress Margaret Qualey. And you know what? I, I have some thoughts on this. Whilst I would have obviously been storming Beach Haven, would have been one of the first ones there, if not the first, to try and get a glimpse at my real Taylor. What is what is the purpose of stampeding places like this? Because Taylor isn't gonna stop everything and say hi to you. She's not gonna take pictures with you. She's not gonna hang out with you, you know? There's no purpose besides seeing her, which I'll be the first one there. I mean, I will fully admit to that. However, there does need to be a certain amount of rationale as to, am I going to go there? Mm, doesn't make much sense. And LBI was still recovering a week after, which is insane. That, I, I don't know. Because that's like in the early 2000s when a celebrity would be seen at the mall and that everybody would rush to that place. It's like, they're not, you know, they're just trying to live their lives. They are normal people. They don't want to be part of a stampede of others and they want to be treated just not like a celebrity for two seconds and taylor who was amidst one of the greatest tours in our world's history wanted a moment to celebrate her good friend's wedding and we decided to crash it and 
cover streets and blocks. Mm, yeah, you know, I don't know. Would I be there? Probably. <laughs> I'm saying all this, I'd be like, yeah, but I'd definitely be there if I was an LBI. Next, a little update. Johnny Depp vs. Amber documentary came out on Netflix. You know, I think this is the same, I stand the same stance as I was for the Kim versus Kanye divorce. These things, they just seem way too personal. I don't think there needs to be documentaries, definitely news articles, you know, keep us in the loop. And because it's been such a public battle between Johnny Depp and Amber, like I understand a certain amount of publicity, but I think that should have been reserved for, you know, magazines and not necessarily tabloids, but just credible journal sources and have not has not, it shouldn't be on Netflix. It shouldn't be somebody like, oh, I want to watch the the charges and the trial against like these two celebrities. I understand that's very interesting, but at the same time, it just seems super personal. And I don't understand why somebody would want to project that amount of specificity into such an emotional situation into the world. That's something I'm still confused about. Because I understand we have access to everything at the tip of our fingers, right? It's so easy for us to find information about people and their lives. Like, it's it's borderline creepy that I can tell you, like, how tall a celebrity is, how much they weigh. Like, that doesn't make any sense for me to know. Yet we have access to all of these baseline personal facts that, as consumers, we develop this sort of entitlement where we think we know certain celebrities and content creators to the point where we think we should have access into their personal lives when we shouldn't. And I think documentaries like this kind of draw the line, but that's just where I stand. And then last little hot minute update. I know this one's kind of short, but you know what? I've been a busy bee. I started watching Suits. This This isn't even a hot minute update. It's not even pop culture. I guess Suits has been on the top 10 Netflix. I finally caved. Now I'm gonna become a lawyer. Um. I'm going to subpoena your ass. I'm just kidding. Suits has changed my life. Changed everything. I am now a cutthroat, argumentative personality. And if you don't like it, boom. See you in trial. See you in court. I mean, Suits is fun. Suits is a good, a good show to put on the background. And I don't know. I feel like I won't. I put it on in the background when I'm doing stuff. And then when I go to actually watch it, I don't feel like I miss much. It's just something about, I don't think Mike Ross is that attractive. Neither do I think Harvey. Personal opinion. Rachel, low-key kind of annoying. Jessica, badass. Lewis, I sympathize. I sympathize with Lewis. And then, you know, all the cases, they're interesting, but at some point, there has to be more of an original storyline. So I'm excited to see where the show proceeds from here. I think I'm on season four because I started watching it a while ago and I just am putting it in a hot minute. But if you need something to watch and that has a lot of episodes and you want to get into a series, 10 out of 10, I recommend Suits. Also, Drive Me Crazy. It's a 90s sitcom. That guy that... If if anyone has ever watched Entourage, it's like Entourage is a 90s sitcom about a group of guys. Mark Wahlberg actually wrote it based on his moving to LA with all of his brothers and how they found their place in LA and he was a movie star. If you need a series to watch, forget Suits, go watch Entourage. 
But the main guy, I don't know his name, but he is my new celebrity crush. Even though these movies are so old and he looks nothing like he does now. Amazing. And then the girl who played Sabrina the Teen Witch, she's in You Drive Me Crazy or Drive Me Crazy. It's such a good, a feel-good rom-com. I know since I've moved to college, you know, you want a little bit of coziness, a comfort film, a good light-hearted situation. Drive me crazy, 10 out of 10. Currently, I'm watching 10 Things I Hate About You. Again, classic. Go, go rent those. Do yourself a favor. Get yourself a little ice cream, a little sweet treat, and watch some comfort films. And treat yourself before we get into the new year. And that brings me into today's episode, so let's get into how to approach this school year with the best mindset possible, taking care of our physical and mental health, and by doing that, we can leave hustle culture behind. All right, let's get into today's episode by starting off with my experience with hustle culture and negative associations with school. Preschool anxiety is something I have always struggled with. I describe it as the Sunday scaries, but times 20. It doesn't matter how much I prepare, it never feels like enough. For example, or to give you some perspective on to the extent of my back to school anxiety, I was on the quarter system last year, which left me with a complete month where I was home and all my friends went to school and I did everything under the sun to try and make the school year run smoother and ease my anxieties and was inevitably an effort to control an uncontrollable situation. For example, I made meal plans. I mapped out my classes, even though I had no knowledge of what campus looked like. I put it in my calendar. I just did all of these tasks that were miscellaneous and had no true intention behind them other than to ease this fear of going back to school and entering this unknown situation. Now, I normally fall into this hustle culture that is associated with school and always trying to feel busy and have this deep-rooted fear of failure that inevitably drives everything I do in school. And to give more perspective into this extreme zone I got into, my friends called me school friend. I had two personalities, school Fran and summer Fran. Summer Fran was carefree. Summer Fran did not carry the weight of academic success and pressure on her shoulder and have that hinder her life experiences. My friends noticed this switch as soon as September hit. Oh, here comes school Fran. We don't like school Fran. Did that damage my self-esteem and self-image 100% but that's beside the point school Fran began in middle school because again my friends started noticing key characteristics and triggers that I have when I start prioritizing academics over everything and fall into hustle culture anxiety is obviously at an all-time high I become very anxious to the point where it would bleed into my social relationships and how I approach conversation. For example, I wouldn't always be the best listener because while other people were talking, it wasn't so much so that I was ignoring them, 
but I'm just thinking about my response and how I don't say the wrong thing and I don't want to mess up the conversation by saying the wrong thing. And I was so consumed with trying to please everybody and be the best version of myself that the social anxiety evidently stemmed from the stress and pressure that I was putting on myself academically. Before I had a better handle on my anxiety, I didn't understand this relationship and how it was negatively impacting my personal and social life. Panic attacks are another key trigger of quote-unquote school fran, and this happened more so in college where I have the basic physiological symptoms of a panic attack, and it is triggered primarily by some sort of academic stressor, whether that be a test, I didn't feel like I studied enough, etc. A key fundamental aspect of school fran is skewed priorities, and what I mean by this is that I have put school on a pedestal and everything else is below it. In the beginning of therapy, I filled out this pie chart where I put and labeled what I cared about. And when I understood that school was taking up too much of that pie chart, it really put things into perspective for me. Why is school taking up so much? Why is it more than friends and family and social time? It should not be. It should be equal, if anything. I would make sacrifices socially with my friends and also my family. I would skip family dinners, family events, because I would insist I had to study. Even though I was in high school and middle school, I had this intense pressure I was putting on myself that was driven by the fear of failure and not by an open-minded choice to learn, which we'll get into a bit later. And because I put so much pressure on school, I would say, oh, I'm sacrificing these social experiences and family experiences and a part of my life to succeed. And then if I don't succeed, what was it for? And that caused me to have a negative relationship with myself and have negative self-esteem because it relied heavily on something as external as school. I've talked about it before on my confidence episode, so go listen to that if you haven't, but how I have associated my self-schema of identity with with school. And my confidence was completely dependent on my academic success at one point. This also caused me, obviously, to isolate myself when I began cutting off social connection and skipping out on important family events, friend events, etc. I noticed that I had a million and one missed text messages, but my to-do list was complete. Like, to what extent are we willing to sacrifice our lives to succeed at school? All because my confidence was so reliant on the grade that I got on the front of that paper, which is ridiculous in hindsight. And then I think a lot of things have been put into perspective since I got my surgery. I think it sounds so dramatic, but I think I just have a more appreciative mindset of being able to go out and do things for yourself and have a social life. And I'm not going to take that for granted anymore. Last few symptoms of quote unquote school fran, um, caffeine health, all time low, because when I'm in this hustle culture rut, I can't justify self-care because school isn't like an office job. And what I mean by this is that 
in an office job nine to five, you go, you're in your computer, you do all your work, you close your computer, you leave the office, you forget about work. But then school, a lot of people study in their dorm room. When they study in their dorm room and it's time to go to sleep, there's no boundary between, for me, my brain is like, oh, I'm in my dorm room, I should study. And then they go take a break. Oh, no, I should be studying, right? It's very hard to distinct these two environments. And before I understood that I need this boundary in order to have good work-life balance, I would be studying all the time. And metaphorically, school friend did not leave the office. Let's just put it that way. So what has helped me surpass this fear of failure and approach school in a better way? Well, in order to uncover that, we need to understand where does back-to-school stress come from? How does it impact our relationship with learning? And how does it impact our capacity to learn neurologically? And how does it impact our self-esteem and how it is based on academic stress? All of that and more coming up next. Where does back-to-school stress come from? Fear of the unknown is definitely a big contributor to back-to-school stress. New classes, new living situation, new social settings, and it can cause us to try and control everything beforehand and get caught in a trap of anxiety. And again, doing what I described as earlier of miscellaneous tasks in effort to control an uncontrollable situation. It doesn't matter how many dorm room supplies you buy ahead of time, for example, you're still going to realize you were missing a hanging clip or, you know, something to hold your pencils. You're always going to, you can't always prepare for everything. And the fear of the unknown is definitely a factor in my back to school stress. Also, the fear of the unknown of learning. A lot of people with extreme stress and a negative relationship with school have a fear of not understanding something right away. And if you don't understand something right away, that can cause you to spiral into an anxiety attack, which often happens to me a lot, which is why I overstudy so much to the point where if I don't know it like the back of my hand, I will convince myself that I don't know it. Getting caught in that cycle, that's driven by fear. And the unknown of social situations, that's a lot of social anxiety. That's how your negative relationship with school and stress can bleed into your social life and cause you to have social anxiety. More balance in our lives is hard to attain because another point of stress going into school is a lot of our plates are full way more during the school year than in the summer. As soon as September hits, you suddenly have a million activities a million responsibilities and it's very very easy to get extremely stressed and not know how to manage all of these responsibilities that you piled on to yourself separation anxiety is also another source of stress and separation anxiety from your home for example i had a lot of separation anxiety from my house because of my back surgery. I was used to being at home. I was used to a certain lifestyle that was very sheltered and very limited. And when I got out of that and began doing things on my own in a new setting, in the school setting, I got, it brought a lot of nervous energy 
and me exploring the city by myself has been great, but it's also been me conquering the separation anxiety from the comfort that is being sheltered at my house. And I had to leave my home, obviously, but that didn't mean to bring, it didn't bring stress with it because it's uncomfortable, it's unknown. And then the other condition of anxiety is generalized anxiety disorder. I have been diagnosed with that, and that is just general stress pertaining to everything from school to mundane tasks. For example, answering emails sometimes and texts stress me out because I don't want to say the wrong things. Sometimes I just won't answer, which is very wrong, but that's just my anxiety voice coming out and being like, oh, whatever you answer, they're not going to like it, so just don't answer. And that's why I don't answer people. If you want to know why I'm really bad at responding, it's not because I didn't see it. It's because for some reason I get too anxious and I just turn my phone on, do not disturb. And then OCD, it could be another form of back to school, source of back to school stress, where if you don't know what obsessive compulsive disorder is, it is a series of obsessions followed by actions or compulsions that our body uses as a defense mechanism to in an effort to control the obsessions and that can be geared towards school and cause a lot of fear going into a learning situation and then lastly if you have a schema where you from a young age encoded information that associated school with feelings of fear. It all comes down to fear. And this definitely implies to how back to school stress and stress related to school in general can negatively impact our learning. The amygdala is the main part of the brain that is a central part of the limbic system and it deals with our fight or flight response to anxiety and fear. When you have anxiety and a fear associated with school, your brain is faced with a trigger and the amygdala is activated and you become consumed with fear and a series of helplessness, which can spiral into a stress induced activation of our amygdala. That series that turns on the fight or flight when there's no real threat or danger that warrants this part of our brain to be turned on. This effective state occurs when you feel alienated from your academic experience and you feel anxious about your lack of understanding. There is a neuroimaging visualization of what has been called the effective filter by Stefan Crash. And I want to bring attention to this because I didn't know there was an actual term and studies on when you feel, this is sort of an explanation for when you feel really stressed and you're just trying to push through it and learn. And then you walk away and you feel like even though you studied, you don't, you don't remember anything because you were in a blind actual fog of stress known as the effective filter. The term describes an emotional state of stress in one's life during a time where they are not responsive to learning and storing new information. What is now evident on brain scans during times of stress is objectively physical evidence of this effective filter. With such evidence-based research, the effective filter theories cannot be disparaged as feel-good education or an excuse to coddle students. If students are stressed out, 
the information cannot get encoded into your brains. In other words, the emotional part of the brain prevents higher cognitive function of the prefrontal cortex. This interferes with memorization, recall, learning new equations, you name it. There is an actual filter on your brain that occurs when you are stressed in school and physically and physiologically and chemically prevents you from learning. Chronic stress increases the number of dendrite connections in the lower emotional centers of the brain while shriveling the dendrite connections in the prefrontal cortex. This is basically the explanation of how the emotional brain takes over the informative part of the brain and controlling part of the brain. You know, our frontal cortex is our center for memorization, preparation, etc. And when we are stressed, the emotional dendrites, which are part of a neuron, which is a basic nerve cell, they're getting stronger while essentially those encoding neurons are getting weaker. So it's not just that a student is stressed and they're, they're using that excuse because they can't learn. Having this effective filter caused by stress physically prohibits you from learning, which I think I didn't understand before reading this, and I think more people should be aware of because it's definitely helped me understand why I can't learn when I'm in a high state of stress and you need to just walk away from the computer and come back later. This also attests to the fact that if you're stressed and you're trying to push through learning, well, look where that's going to get you. You are better off taking a 10-minute break so that you're refocused instead of allowing this effective filter that is caused by an anxiety associated with school to prevent you from learning to your highest capacity. Chronic stress associated with school can also alter hormones and neurons that dictate long-term memory and high cognitive function, such as long-term memory retention. Hormones such as norepinephrine and cortisol, which are both levels, or both hormones that have to do with our fight-or-flight response that are highly activated during these moments of high stress while participating in school that can prevent us from truly reaching our highest potential in school. It's reported that prefrontal cortex dendrites can regrow if the stress disappears, but this ability to rebound may be limited if the stress is especially severe or sustained. In other words, like I was saying, if you're stressed and you have to study, it is much, much better for you to take a 10-minute break. And don't feel guilty about it because I am communicating that your brain and your neurons will not function to the extent that you want them to. If you push through the stress and anxious energy, if you're trying to study, you need to take a 10-minute break or however long it takes you to reset, regroup, and go back to school. Because if anything, this is telling you that your brain chemically needs to reset. So trust your body. When your body is saying, I need a break, give it to, give it to yourself. Do not feel guilty because just imagine the emotional part of your brain imploding and poison, not poisoning, but just taking over your whole brain and that part of your brain that's amazing and is used for solving complex equations, that's shriveling every minute that you try and work through stress because I've been there. And then when I have trouble recalling all the information I studied the next day, this explains why because I've had this effective filter and 
learning how to give myself breaks when needed has resulted in such higher academic performance. How is back to school stress related to negative self-image and self-esteem? There have been several correlational studies that demonstrate a strong correlation between academic stress and self-esteem that was based on a series of questionnaires and there's a negative correlation between anxiety and self-esteem. Anxiety goes up, self-esteem goes down. And this feeling of stress approaching school, it's caused me to reflect on how we can go into this next school year. And it's also allowed me to reflect on how I've gone on previous school years. And I always think my approach is the best because I'm like, my approach has just been to work hard, work as hard as you can. But now I'm understanding that where I'm approaching school is not from a place of genuinity. Is that a word? I don't know. But it's not coming from a genuine place of wanting to learn, but it's coming from a fear of failure. And if you have anxiousness related to school and success, it's likely that you're approaching school the same way, not from a place of wanting to learn, but a place of being scared and where your body feels like it's under attack when there is no real threat. So going into the school year, here are some ways that you can tackle this academic journey without feeling pressure of failure and feeling like you have to work all of the time and control situations that are inevitably uncontrollable and come to school with more peace and more security in yourself and how to detach your identity from academic success. All right, let's become our best selves now. Let's let's start from the beginning. Let's talk about how we're approaching school because we just talked about and mentioned how you approach learning impacts how you study and how well you retain information. So do not focus on the time you studied, but mentally set more boundaries and approach school with grace, not objectively doing less work, but make sure you're coming into a study session or into learning in general, not from a place of fear, not from a place of scared of failure, but a place driven by choice. I think a lot of times when I've gone into study sessions and school in general, it's based in this, rooted in this fear of failure, when in reality, learning is an opportunity and it should be seen and approached that way. I think I've been so consumed with the letter that is on that report card and GPA number rather than the value of information that I'm actually consuming. And I know this sounds all great to talk about, and but once you get down to it, yes, the grade does matter, and yes, I'm still going to care what I get in the class. But it's now beneficial to have a greater understanding that objectively learning is a choice, and if you fail, you fail. But you're going to have a more rewarding experience and more enjoyable time in school if you are not consumed by the grade and remember that learning is a choice and you're choosing to better yourself by participating in it and school can be fulfilling and challenging 
without being intimidating and stressful when we approach learning with such a open-minded method. Second, it's really helped me to better experience school, to identify what triggers my school friend, as I described it earlier. When you get into these anxious study sessions or anxious states of mind, identify, try to identify as best you can, the signs you get before and what actions you take during, because it will help you understand when you need to take a step back. And when you say, wait a second, I've been isolating a lot more and I have a lot of missed text messages from people. Am I prioritizing school too much? And it will cause you to reflect on your actions and how you're approaching whatever studying you're doing and whatever mindset you have at the time of school because you understand what triggers you. I hate the word triggers. I feel like it's like, oh my God, she's triggering me. But it's the only way to describe this, to identify what causes you and what action you take during these hustle culture episodes, I'm going to call them. Again, I described earlier how superior learning occurs when our brains are not stressed. And this can be supported when we are in environments that motivate us and that make us want to approach learning in a better way and environments where we have mental supports, physical supports. My therapist and I worked on this worksheet that identified the types of supports you have. You know, the doers, which are people in your life that can do things for you when you are not able to. And then you have your mental supports, people that you talk to when you're going through a tough time. And then you have your social supports or people that are known as distractors that can help you relieve stress. And identifying who falls into these three categories of supports can help you have a more fulfilling school year and enjoy school with less stress. And if you do get stressed, have at least somebody to reach out to, somebody to understand what you're going through, empathize with you, do tasks that you can't necessarily do. For example, a doer for me is my therapist. She can help me tackle problems that I can't tackle myself sometimes. She is a doer. A distractor would be, you know, one of my party friends at school that has a lot of social connections that could help me just get away for a few minutes and distract myself. And a mental support would be somebody like my best friends or my cousin, somebody who I can talk to openly and honestly and who can empathize with me and be supportive and be there for me. Those are examples of the three types of supports that I think are necessary to not fall into this hustle culture trap and keep yourself in the best headspace and environment possible to facilitate the best learning opportunity. And while we always might not be able to control our external study environment all the time, we can help control our internal mindset. I want to share something that I listened to during Dr. Huberman's Neuroscience Lab podcast, and it's this idea of growth mindset. And growth mindset is a theory of intelligence where people can be categorized according to their implicit beliefs about ability. 
there are people with a fixed mindset that believe abilities are innate, while people with growth mindset believe that they can actually acquire abilities through effort and study. I didn't realize that I was approaching school with a fixed mindset. For example, I was giving myself a lot of negative self-talk whilst I was studying and just not having a lot of self-efficacy. I didn't believe in myself that I could do it. And I would say, oh, you didn't try hard enough. That phrase, you didn't try, negatively associating the effort that I was putting into school was innately decreasing my academic performance because growth mindset is this idea that we can consume and understand knowledge best neurologically when we are applauding the effort rather than the result. So instead of saying, oh, wow, that was amazing, you got an A, instead of telling that to yourself, say, I really applaud you or I really appreciate the effort that I put into this test or the effort that I put into this project using verbs that indicate positive work and applauding the process rather than the result will not only facilitate better learning opportunities and a more open mindset, but it will also allow you to approach more challenging questions without feeling as intimidated. A lot of people with a fixed mindset will go through easy problem sets to study to build up their confidence, where people with growth mindset are more likely to tackle challenging problems and work through them and applaud their effort that they're giving because they're giving a greater effort and yield better results on an exam. That is fundamentally true. A scientist known as Alfie Cohen calls exuberant discovery where students of all ages retain that kindergarten enthusiasm of embracing each day with the joy of learning. With current research and data in the field of neuroscience, we see growing opportunities to coordinate the design of curriculum, instruction, and assessment in ways that will reflect these incredible discoveries. In other words, with growth mindset comes building a positive relationship with learning and school. We can't fall into the fixed trap of giving ourselves negative feedback because not only does that hinder our learning fundamentally, but it also negatively impacts how we respond to failure because people with a fixed mindset view failure as a result of their own lack of ability, while people with growth mindset see it as an opportunity to expand their abilities to work harder and smarter. So my final tips are, or summary of all of this information on a better approach to learning and what you should say to yourself while learning. Praise the effort and you will yield better results. Build self-efficacy rather than attaching your identity building self-efficacy and applauding again the work that you're putting into it rather than the external result, whatever that may be. And view negative performances, as cliche as it is, as an opportunity to grow rather than a lack of your own competence because we're all learning. Then <laughs> We're learning while learning. It is a process. And normalize struggle and embrace, embrace it because 
we shouldn't be scared of learning and we shouldn't be scared of challenging equations and math problems because we think we can't handle it. You can control the amount of effort you put into the problem. That is, you know, those are my thoughts. Those are my final thoughts as to how to approach school the best way I have learned you can. I'm going to try and take these with me this school year. I hope this helped you identify, excuse me, oh my god, I hope these helped you, you know, identify maybe some of the triggers you have when you get into this hustle culture mindset and or help you have a better outlook on learning. And last thing I want to leave you with is view it as a choice and remember that you are choosing to better yourself through education. Education does not dictate your whole life. That is all I have for today. This little episode I'm going to put out, but season two comes out September 10th. New logo, new marketing, new everything. And I'm so excited to be more active again. And now that I'm finally settled in school, share my life. Uh, please give some love on Instagram and, you know, share it whenever you, whenever you can. That's all I have for you today, and I will see you next Sunday where we will talk about everything all at once.